Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Welcome back to the pastor's office this afternoon. I'm so glad to have you with us. We are excited every Sunday when you give us your time after you have left the house of worship, the sanctuary uh, that you go to uh, to give God praise. I will let you know we had an awesome service here today uh, at Northeast Baptist Church. Pastor Lynn Brown blessed our souls. And now we're preparing to head over to the Second Baptist Church of Frankfurt uh, for the installation services of their new pastor, uh, the Reverend Lawrence Shuford Jr. So we want to congratulate Pastor Shuford, congratulate the Second Baptist Church of Frankfurt. uh, And we are excited. We are anxious. And I can't tell you how awesome it's going to be. Uh, to work with our sister church right here in the Frankfurt community to deliver services, blessings, and all that we can uh, to this great community of Frankfurt. But I'm talking church. This is Philly's favor, number one gospel radio station in the city of Philadelphia. And today we've got a great show for you. We're going to talk to two young men in our second segment uh, who were wrongly convicted of attempted murder. They spent 15 years in jail. They've now been released and are pursuing their college degrees. Uh, so we're looking forward to speaking with them and we'll introduce you at the time. But right now, from the political side of what's going on in Philadelphia uh, and Pennsylvania at large, uh, we've been taking a lot of time to interview all of the candidates for mayor and find out what they're going to do for this great city. But today we're going to pivot. We want to talk to one of the candidates for Auditor General uh, of the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, He is currently the state representative representing the 181st District. Uh, I want to welcome back to the pastor's office, State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. State Representative, come on in, have a seat. Let's talk a little bit. How are you? I'm I'm blessed, highly favored, and really excited to be back with you. Anytime I get a chance, come to the pastor's office. I know there's going to be some blessings in store. Amen, amen. Well, listen, we want to thank you for your time. We we first have to say uh, that we're excited, uh, State Representative Kenyatta, about the history that was made just a couple weeks ago when your friend and mine, Joanna McClinton, was installed as the speaker of the Pennsylvania House. Brother, tell me how it felt to be there and witness that day in history. You know, what's so what's so special about that, Rev, is, you know, not only did I get to witness it, I got to, 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 to play a, a, a tiny role in being able to actually nominate 
um, the gentlewoman from Philadelphia to be the first woman, the second African-American and the youngest uh, speaker in history of the House of Representatives. And I think what also people should recognize is Pennsylvania, we are the longest contiguous legislative body in the nation. And so this is historic in so many regards, and there is no better person who is ready for this moment uh, than, than Speaker McClinton to lead this uh, narrowly divided chamber to deliver on all of the big things that I know you talk about every Sunday that we need to do on gun violence, on housing, on lifting up our seniors, and the list goes on. Man, listen, I, I got to say this to you. I know it was not an easy journey for her and for those that supported her to get to that seat. But one thing you said to me when we opened up the lines today, favor is an amazing thing, and, and she's been favored. And so uh, I'm excited. I know that Philadelphia and those that have supported her are excited. And Pennsylvania at large uh, is going to be blessed by this step in history. So, again, I say congratulations because you had something to do with it, uh, and we're just looking forward to seeing what the House is going to do under this new and dynamic leadership. That's, that's right, and I also would just say, you know, it shouldn't be shocking that, that you know, that she's a minister, okay? And so that's a part of how this is happening. Listen, she's coming to preach for me the second Sunday in October. We can't wait, man. We, we, we are excited. We are absolutely. Listen, there's something about the sisters that are lifting up the word right now. Sherelle Parker was here just a couple weeks ago, and you would have thought she was ordained. Uh, the, the way she set this house on fire. So, so man, we're, we're, just, we're just excited about what's going on. Well, Listen, I know, I know we got to get to some questions, but I want to say my pastor, uh, Pastor Pastor Leslie uh, from St. Paul's Baptist Church, you know, is in that long, long line, Pastor Callahan. Dr. So, Callahan, so I absolutely. I preaching sisters. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, listen, listen. So, so you're in this divided, narrowly divided house uh, and, yeah. and working to move an agenda forward, a progressive agenda that's going to benefit your constituent base. But you've recently uh, made it be known. You've announced your candidacy for Auditor General. Uh, now, you've been in the House now a little over five years, if uh, my math is correct. Uh, talk to me about the decision process of, make, of, of now working to make that transition. You know, you, you, you said it absolutely, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I had a good mentor of mine who said to me, you know, Malcolm, elected office is not the end in of itself. Elected office is a tool. And the question always is, what do you want to build? And for me, that, that has been consistent, that I've been talking about how do we build a government that works for working people. And in my current role, you're going to see a lot of the different legislation that I've been pushing and trying to advance as it, as it relates to government accountability, as it relates to gun violence, as it relates to uh, education and strengthening um, the resources that we send to our schools. But the Auditor General has a very unique role in our government. It is the one person whose entire job is to keep people from getting screwed, frankly, to make sure that our taxpayer dollars are being used in the way that they were appropriated, are being used legally, but also are being used effectively. The Auditor General is the uh, person who has the task and the great power and responsibility to look at 
any state agency to look at anywhere where we've sent a dollar of state funds to ask the question, are these funds being used legally? But also, are these funds being used wisely? And our current auditor, um, frankly, you know, I believe has taken this office in a very bad direction. We need some leadership in this office. And I have had um, the great privilege of being on critical committees that already have oversight um, over a lot of the areas that I'd be looking at as Auditor General. I'm on the State Government Committee, which oversees the pensions program and um, many state agencies, as is in the name, but also our elections. I've also uh, continued to serve on the Commerce Committee and on the Finance Committee, looking at how we spend public and private dollars, be it grants, be it tax breaks, be it state-backed loans. And I think that I'm looking forward to the opportunity to do what I have done as a legislator, to ask the hard questions, to try to demand answers, and then to try to bring people together around really solutions once we identify the problems. And I think that that's something we need a lot more of, identifying the things that we all know anecdotally uh, is wrong, but backing that up with empirical data and then bringing people together to address it statutorily, uh, regulatorily, or administratively, should the need arise. State Representative Kenyatta, so I, I, I had the great privilege and honor uh, for four years of, ser- of serving as the international president of the only, the, the greatest, I mean, the supernatural greatest fraternity in all the land, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated, uh, 150,000 members founded in 1914. Anyway, I digress. But 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 what, the reason I bring that up is because as I served as international president, there was one person I never wanted to see. And that was my auditor, because when the auditor would come around uh, a, a couple times a year, it's exactly what you said. He would look at what we spent. He would look at how we spent it. And then he would ask some very difficult questions. I always bristled when that meeting came around. Not that we were doing anything wrong, but you know what? We were making some decisions to move in an aggressive manner to catapult the organization to places it hadn't been before. But here's the point that I make that I want to make. Once he kind of beat us up, once he asked the tough questions, once he reported to the board, there were really no teeth in what he could do in our constitution. So in the Pennsylvania constitution, once you ask those tough questions, then what is the what are the teeth that allow you to actually make a difference because one thing we know, there's a lot of waste in government. Absolutely. And I, and I will say, um, our appropriations chair, another person dealing with money is a, is a Sigma. He's a now. good man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rep. Chairman Harris, I'm sure he'll be listening. But let me, but let me say this. I think, I, 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 so first of all, it, it really varies. So, so the auditor has a number of things that they need to look at from a statutory perspective. Um, some of it, frankly, is, is very boring to the average person, but I'm a political nerd, so not boring to me. Um, looking at um, volunteer firefighters, their, their relief funds, um, the auditor does have the ability, if they believe that uh, you know fraud or something like that is occurring, to hold those funds up and to release those funds. Um, and that is a very tangible you know, teeth that they have in a very you know, narrow band. But this is one of the issues where the power of the bully pulpit and, and, and the understanding about how you organize is going to be key. And it's nothing new to me as a legislator, right? As a legislator, I can introduce 
legislation, um, but I can't do anything until I convince 101 um, of my colleagues to also agree with me. And then I have to convince 26 senators, and then I have to convince the governor to, to, to sign it. And, you know, when we talk about that government waste, and when we talk about bringing people on board to address um, the problems that we know exist and the ones that I will find along the way, I'm going to have to use the same skill sets I've used as a legislator to get things done. And we've seen this be used to great effect. Senator Casey is a former uh, auditor. Um, his dad, Governor Casey, was a former auditor. Eugene De Pasquale, who was the last auditor, um, I would just highlight, you know, two areas where you saw him do exactly what I what I meant, using the bullpen and then organizing people very effectively. He actually worked with now Speaker McClinton um, after he discovered that we weren't processing across Pennsylvania our rape kits effectively. And think about that, Rev. And I know you've counseled people and talked to people who've been uh, who've been brutalized, who've been who've been raped, who've been assaulted, and to go through that process of getting uh, that rape kit done and to then not have that rape kit even be processed through the evidentiary chain, that's heartbreaking. He identified that and worked with Speaker McClinton to pass legislation to take Pennsylvania from being one of the worst in the nation to hopefully in a couple of years being the national standard in terms of how we process these, these rape kits. Another thing he, he found, and this is going to be very important to what I want to do in this role, is he found a lot of waste, fraud, and abuse as it related to funds that we send out um, to, to schools. Um, he found a district in one instance they were using taxpayer dollars to take themselves to Rome. I mean, think about this. Wow. People are going to Rome. Wow. He found one district where people did not, people were driving our kids to school, and they had suspended licenses. Wow. And so this is going to be critical. And believe it or not, this auditor has ended all school compliance audits. We are no longer, as the state of Pennsylvania, looking at, through the Auditor General's office, um, protecting taxpayer dollars as it relates to our kids and relates to our schools. I think it's un- unacceptable. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We're talking to State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who has announced his candidacy for Auditor General of the State of Pennsylvania. State Representative Kenyatta, okay. You've given us clarity on why. You've given us clarity on what the position does. What I'm curious about is how will you use this position to impact communities of color? So so I want to just lay out the three things that are going to be the focus of this office, and every single one um, is is, is about lifting up communities of, of, of color. The first is on day one, I am going to rebuild the School Audits Bureau, because we recognize that right now we have a lot of things that we need to do in Harrisburg that we've known we needed to do, but now we have a legal obligation to do it. Last month, um, the Commonwealth Court ruled that Pennsylvania was not um, standing by its constitutional obligation to provide every child with a thorough and efficient education. And this was a conservative judge who ruled that we weren't doing this. And we know that most of the kids who are in school districts where there's lead, asbestos, and mold, we have multiple schools right now in Philadelphia that are closed because asbestos was identified in the school, and we sent our kids 
into buildings where they could decades from now be diagnosed with mesothelioma or other uh, bronchitis or other things that come from exposure to, 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 to asbestos. And we also know that many of our kids are not getting the type of education that they would get if they lived in Lower Marion, as, as an example. And so this, this Commonwealth Court case really laid down the marker on what we've known for a long time and what I know you've talked about for a long time, making sure every kid, every one of our kids gets a quality education. That's right. And so step one is going to be doing those audits. And I'm going to be looking at a performance audits to ensure what is our progress in the school districts that are persistently underfunded, how are we making progress? And as Auditor General, I'm going to get I'm going to get answers on that. The second the second thing that we're going to be looking at and focusing on is how do we treat working people? And we have an obligation, in my view, and an opportunity here to deal with some of the biggest drivers of income uh, inequity in our communities. One of them is wage theft wage splitting and union busting. Women of color, black and Hispanic women, are the main victims of wage theft. And we see this happen all the time, particularly for people who work, um, you know, minimum wage jobs where they have to clock in. And you go and you look at your, your, your check and you see the hours that you work are not reflected on the check. That type of uh, illegal behavior is, frankly, widespread, and mem- many, many members uh, in organized labor deal with it as well. I'm going to create a, bu- a bureau and a worker liaison where we're going to be looking at wage theft, wage splitting, um, and looking at how people who get state tax dollars, state tax breaks, um, on and on, um, how they d- don't do right. I work in Pennsylvanians, we're going to change that. And then the final thing I'll say is we know the crisis of gun violence, which affects um, black and brown folks at higher rates than anybody else. We know the disparities in terms of health care, be it maternal mortality crisis, uh, be it um, the accessibility to uh, prescription drugs, on and on and on. Pennsylvania, through federal appropriations that come down and through state appropriations, we send a lot of money out in the terms of um, health care, to long-term care facilities, to hospitals, on and on. We need to look at those dollars, look at those outcomes from the dollars that we send. Um, and you're going to see a number of very intensive reports looking at the maternal mortality crisis, for example, and how we can change that. And Rebecca Reinhardt, um, and I'm not making an endorsement for mayor to be very, very clear here, but when she was a uh, controller, um, she did a number of reports looking at gun violence, at the economic impact of gun violence in our communities, lost wages and everything that comes from that, but also looking at, uh, you know, how we can buttress the things that we're doing with focused deterrence, with the dollars that we have pushed out. You know, I voted for hundreds of millions of dollars. People understand hundreds of millions of dollars that we've brought back home to deal with gun violence. But the question is, how are those dollars being spent? Um, is it is it being used effectively? And are we finding models that are really working? Right? Is there a program out there that is kicking butt and really doing it, really making an impact? How can we use the audits to not just be a negative tool, but also an opportunity to say these are best practices, and the current auditor is doing none of that. He's doing absolutely none of it. But we shouldn't be shocked. He was funded um, primarily by the same people who want to end public schools as we know it and who want to make Pennsylvania a right-to-work state. He got $1.4 million um, from the Commonwealth Foundation, um, and that was 85% of all the dollars he raised. And so we know who he fights for. It's big business, big corporations. And when I'm auditor, it's going to be a very very different uh, sheriff in town. 
You, you mentioned big business. Let's pivot real quick before we uh, sign off. Small businesses. Yep. Small businesses. Yep. There was a lot of money over the last few years that was allocated towards helping to boost small businesses. Uh, and you know it. Small businesses are the life's blood of a lot of these communities throughout Pennsylvania. Uh, how will you use your position to help make sure that small businesses are getting the type of help that they need in order to survive? Thank you so much, Rev, for, for, for bringing this up because this is this is critical. I led the diversity and inclusion initiatives at the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce for, for over just over two years. Um, and so I know this personally. I've sat with folks who are trying to grow their business, take it to the next level. Um, one of the things that we can look at is access to capital um, from, the, from, from the banking perspective. Again, we have some, not the biggest banks, but we have some regional banks and community banks, um, which our uh, Department of Banking and Securities has some level of oversight over. We can look at their lending practices through a performance audit. Um, we can look at how some of our, our, our first and second stage loan um, programs that are administered through DCED, which is our Department of Community and Economic Development, um, how those are working. And again, as I said, you can also use the audits not to just find somebody who did something bad, but also to identify things that are real working. Um, our CDFIs do incredible work um, in terms of being those micro lenders to some of the, the, the smallest businesses, to that hair salon, to that barbershop, to that, uh, you know, to somebody who's setting up a food stand for the first time. Our CDFIs do a lot of that work. You know, the question will be is how effective could we be if we were investing more in our CDFIs? And so I'm going to be looking at as well, um, be it the dollars that came from the Inflation Reduction Act or from the American Rescue Plan. Um, some of these dollars were pushed out through CDFIs, and we did these targeted grant and loan programs that I know um, anecdotally, again, um, kept a lot of businesses from going under. My question will be, how can we keep this ongoing? And I think that that's a part of my job to I, absolutely identify waste, fraud, and abuse. We got to do that. But also, people need to know when government works, right? If somebody had a program that changed their lives and made a positive impact, you know what? We need to look at that too and ask the question, how can we scale that up? And are we wasting money over here that we could be sending, you know, over there instead? And so you have to have somebody in this office um, who is creative and who's going to lead the office. And I'm ready to, to provide that desperately needed leadership in this office. And I, I can't tell you how critical uh, that type of work is because you mentioned CDFIs. And, and I will tell you that we, my church, we just closed on a building down the street from where we're currently located. We're going to turn that building into an early childhood education center. We're going to build a senior yeah, housing across yeah. the street. But here's the thing. I, I went through a, a bank, a regular bank, to get the mortgage for this property. I did not find out about CDFIs until I was already almost done the process. And, and because I wasn't happy with the uh, the interest rate, I wasn't happy with certain things. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so one of the things that I, I've shared with a lot of our political leaders is not just church. I'm also a small business owner. Uh, 
there are some things that we just need to be educated on so we know the resources that are available and, and, and add to that, make some of the processes a little less complicated. That's, that's, that's exactly, that is exactly right. And that's one of the things, again, that we can look at, you know, what, what, what is, what is the red tape, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's holding people, that's holding people back. And, um, you know, in, in the current Auditor General's office, and I, and I know we need to wrap up, but I think it's important that people understand, um, last session, and I think we talked about this on the program, Republicans have passed a number of constitutional amendments. And our Constitution says to amend the Constitution, you have to pass it twice in two successive, uh, you know, uh, sessions. And so because we won the House for the first time in over a decade, um, Speaker McClinton was not going to be bringing those constitutional amendments um, up to the, to, to the floor. And so that's good. But one of the constitutional amendments, amendments they had was to put the auditor general in charge of auditing all future statewide elections. And people should go back and Google this. Tim DeFore, Malcolm Kenyatta, Google it, and you will see he came before my committee, state government committee, where we have oversight over elections. And I asked him point blank, do you believe that somebody who had just won statewide, did he believe the election where he was elected was free and fair? And what he said to me, Rev, was, well, my election was fair, Representative Kenyatta, but I don't know if the rest of the elections were fair. Wow. And so it gives you a sense of the, the, the lack of, of, of moral courage and leadership from an office that's all about accountability. That's what this office is about. And I know you have folks say, well, Malcolm, you're not a, you're, you're not a CPA. Well, this job doesn't require anybody to be a CPA. We have incredible CPAs um, who work in the, in the auditor's office right now who want to do their job. But he has limited the scope of work that they can do on auditing our schools, on, um, on, on so many other areas of great interest to our community. He has not cared, and he's played footsies with Donald Trump and the election deniers. And I think that that is, in my view, frankly, disqualifying. State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta running for the position of Auditor General of the state of Pennsylvania. Do me a favor before we head off. Tell our listeners how they can find out more about your campaign, how they can engage, and 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 how they can donate. So I am um, at MalcolmKenyatta.com, M-A-L-C-O-L-M, Kenyatta, K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A, and Malcolm Kenyatta on all social media. Um, we welcome people to get involved in this campaign. And, Pastor, I look forward to engaging with, with you. And I just want to say one final thing to what you said. Thank you for focusing on child care um, as it relates to the church. We are thousands of seats down from where we need to be right now in terms of child care. There are people who desperately want to get child care and have nowhere to send their child right now. And so hearing that that is a priority for you and for the, and for, and for the church is, um, is huge. Thank you so much, sir. And listen, as always, we're praying for you. And if we can ever be of assistance, you know where we are. Thank you so much, Pastor. And we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. I want to thank State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta for joining us in our first segment. But now I told you earlier I wanted to introduce you to two young men who were wrongfully convicted of attempted murder in 2006. They spent 15 years in prison until the Innocence Project. And we've had representatives from the Innocence Project on our show before until the Innocence Project uh, helped them 
to get their convictions overturned. They've been out now since uh, 2021. Uh, and some exciting things are happening in their lives. So let me stop calling them they and them and introduce them to you. Uh, I want to bring into the pastor's office Michael Sutton and Kenny Phillips. Michael and Kenny, welcome to the pastor's office. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank so, you. So, so, gentlemen, let's get right into it. Uh, let's, no, our pleasure to have you. Uh, let's get right into it. As I understand it, you guys were out on a birthday celebration back in May of 2006. And unfortunately, wrong place, wrong time. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Michael, why don't you start off? Well, basically, it was May of 2006. Memorial weekend, you know, I just went to prime like a week a week before, and I was just about to graduate from high school the following week, and I had a full ride to college. Plus, it was Kenny, it was Kenny Phillips' birthday that night. So, in the you know, in the late hours of of May Memorial weekend, you know, we was going out, you know, to celebrate, and you know, like around that time. That's when all the high schools and all the colleges let out for the summertime. So, you know, it was like, you know, I'm about to, we're on our way to college. You know, it's Kenny's birthday. We're just thinking, like, we about to go have a good time. We did have a good time, but on our way home, that's when this happened. On our way home, coming from the nightclub, you know, we was coming through a, through a green light. And that's when we turned on the street, it was already a car on the street. And that car was, was had opened up fire and shot into another car, striking two passengers in the in the face. But it was four people in the car. So you know, as we coming through the green light, it's more like we we watching it unfold right in our face. And like I pull over to the side of the road, I see the police coming. So I pull over. I'm thinking the police gonna go after the car that did the shooting, the car that was in front of my car. But the police pulled my car over. And it was like at the time, it was like when the police pulled us over, you know, it was just so much. We didn't know what to think, what to do, no nothing. We not even from this side of town, you know. We just were kids at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I'm the driver, plus I got three passengers in my car. And, you know, it's like we all black kids. Right, so, right, right. You know, when the police pulled me over, it was more like I didn't know where I was at. This ain't my neighborhood. I just I wonder. I kept driving because I needed to see like some some street lights. I needed to see some houses or something. And I turned on the first side street I seen that, and we was apprehended shortly. So while we was apprehended, we had some police officers. They made up a whole story against us. Wow. We had police officers come to the corner and say that we. We shot at him. We had three guns when we got out of my car, and we opened up fire on the police officers, and they never shot back at us. Okay. So, Kenny, Kenny, uh, and listening to to Michael tell this story, 
Uh, it's so unfortunate. But they were out. Ce- you were out celebrating your birthday. Uh, and there are a bunch of questions. And I know the case has already been litigated, but I just want to give our listeners a perspective on what you went through. There was another car that, that where the shots came from. Wouldn't it make logical sense that they needed to find some guns, some actual physical guns, uh, before, before you could be com- convicted of this crime? I mean, help us understand how they were able to, to make up a story but yet found no physical evidence uh, of guns in your car. Yes, for sure, because it was, and they had us out there from dawn to dusk, like, like you said, it was just my 18th birthday, my grandma had just passed, I wasn't even going on go out and stuff, and everybody like, let's go out, you know what I'm saying, she, she, she'll want you to still enjoy your life and want you to live, you know, happy, so, yeah, I went out, and like he was telling me, you know, wrong place, wrong time, and it's like, we was there from late like, Eight hours they had us outside from 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 dark from when they caught us to all the way to the next morning, searching for guns, weapons, bullets, all this type of stuff, whatever they try to say, and never found no type of evidence. Even with the people who got shot, they even came to court and said they didn't even know who shot them. Just was a light skin arm. So we was even trying to figure out like how this was. It was like they had a bandana against us for real. Like even when we just came back, you could tell it was a bandana, like because the same police officers lied, even had the witnesses and stuff inside the back, like prepping them up. You know, stuff that you don't even supposed to do, though. You know what I'm saying? They even made the jury think that the case happened this year and never even told the jury like we was already down for 15 years. Wow. So, so let me ask you this. So you guys were convicted uh, of this crime. Uh, you went away to prison for 15 years. Uh, and I and I and I often wonder when I talk to uh, really seventeen for real because we still we still was facing the crime when we came home when we came home we ain't even proposed to have nothing on us they still had us on probation house arrest for six months okay. and then we had to reface the charges again like you know what I'm saying we could have possibly went back down with ninety two years over my head again with him with forty seven like it would. You know what I'm saying? But grace of God, he saved us and showed them people that we was innocent. So, wow. So so, so I often ask this question of those that have been released for crimes they didn't commit. What helped you make it through 15 years knowing that you had not committed a crime? What helped you make it through 15 years of being behind bars, having all of your rights taken away from you? How'd you make it through? God and my family. God and my family for me. Because right. I was trying to find within self, searching, finding within self was which was God. He said he left the Holy Spirit with it. So I'm trying to figure out what religion was best and who he was. So when I found God, I got happy and my family was my support. So that's what kept me strong. So you got connected to the Innocence Project. Uh, Michael, how did they find out about your case? Um, basically, it was like, Kimmy was represented by the Wrongful Conviction Project by Miss Joanna Sanchez. At the time, she was the one that was working our case from the beginning. And I was having regular attorneys, like my family was just paying for attorneys. With Miss Joanna Sanchez, she out the Wrongful Conviction Project out the Public Defender's Office. So it was like she always understood it, and she'd been working this case from the beginning. And at the time, it was like when she was working our case, 
Miss Joanna was the one that stumbled across us us having two police officers that was willing to come forward and, and, and you know, with different stories of what happened that night from what these officers had said. So at the time it was like I was I was hearing about it and then when we got them evidence, you know, because, you know, we, we fighting and, and at the time when we didn't have no evidence, all we had was just our words. So any type of money my family had, friends had for us, like we paid for attorneys because even before these cops came forward, it was like we were still innocent. We just couldn't prove it. So, you know, it's like even though we said still, we just needed, we always had attorneys because we, we needed that, you know, like our mothers weren't about to let us sit in there. Our families weren't about to let us sit in there. And I believe they was going to fight tooth and nail to the last breath of them. So we fought tooth and nail. And I got with the Innocent Project when when Miss Joanna Sanchez got aware of them, of these two police officers willing to come forward in my case. She told me to write the Innocent Project, and she had catch them up to speed with everything that's going on in our case. So so when I did that, I, I wrote the Innocent Project when I was in prison, and I gave them Miss Joanna Sanchez, and I, and I told them, like, um, contact her. She'll catch you up to speed with everything. And when I and when I wrote it, when I wrote them, and they came through and they looked at everything and they and they understood it. That made us the first case in history. These two law firms ever been merged together as one. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We are talking with Michael Sutton and Kenny Phillips, two young men that were wrongfully convicted in May of 2006. Uh, they served 15 years in prison for attempted murder. Uh, one had a prison sentence of over 90 years, the other of over 40 years. But by the grace of God, with the help of the Innocence Project, uh, they were released. So, gentlemen, uh, where were you and... How did the message come to you uh, that your conviction had been overturned? Kenny, why don't you share that? I was in Nashville. I was in Nashville Correction Institution waiting. In 2021 of May, um, they called us and told us, like, our case got overturned. Two officers came forward who was our reference officers, too, that made it even more better. They said that, you know, they had, um, had evidence that they lied and no other officers lied on the force. And and we just coming back to come home, man. That was, I was a man, so I was just a blessing. I was just waiting, just waiting, kept waiting. And they came to get us, like, I think like that was May 1st or 2nd. We got out the next day when we got to the county. Okay. And, Michael, what about you? Um, I, I was locked up in, in, in Lake Erie Correctional Institution, and when I heard, when I heard it, my lawyer told me like, cause it was a, it was a hard battle, and you know like we ain't had no outdates, so we never knew when we was coming home, you know. So like my lawyer, my lawyer name is Donald Castor from the Innocent Project. He never told me I was going home. He told me. The word that when we go into court, we're going to use the word optimistic. Mm-hmm. He said we're going to be optimistic today. That's the word. We're not going to say you're going home because he ain't want to let us down. Yes. Yeah. 
I remember him saying that too. Okay, so 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 you get out. Uh, you've been out since 2021. You guys recently got some great news that the University of Akron uh, is giving you uh, has provided for you full scholarships to pursue your education. Uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about that. It's like my unwritten story right here. You know, like my first days in prison was probably my first days in college. So you know, like. I never, I never imagined, like, you know, like, going through prison this long, you know, like, all my dreams and stuff like that got washed away. Like, only thing I was trying to fight for was was my life, for survival, you know, to, to come home. You know, like, everything that I ever thought about that he was even planned was, like, it's over. Right. And it's it been that way, it been that way since 2006, you know. Right. So to get a full vibe to come back, it's like it's like they gonna help me, you know, and and they gonna help us because the stuff that we knew back then is like kind of old to me, and I feel like they they helping us become back a part of society, you know. It just feel amazing, even yeah. at this age, this point of our life. Right, it's just right. A blessing from God, and I'm just I know like this type of stuff don't don't happen, so. I feel like this stuff bigger than me, and I'm just willing to walk in the purpose. And Kenny, what about you? Um, I'm oh, well, blessed. Thank God. God is good. Um, I feel like everything they took from us, I feel like what we thought we lost, God giving it to us double times. And um, I'm just thankful for his mercy and his grace. And like, like I said, I was thinking about think, the, thing, the three things I'm thinking about going back for is one of them, sports therapy caseworker and um, business and why I want to go caseworker because the field the type of field I already been starting up this program now probably, um, called All Lives Matter Each One Teach One so I'm trying to bridge that out there going back into the schools prisons and juvenile centers and stuff and um, be a good motivation speaker and teacher so I'm just blessed and happy for that like, because I really thought like it wasn't going to never see daylight some days like yeah I have faith I always try to find and some days it was getting crazy you know I just thank God, and I thank my teamwork from um, the Ronnie Conviction Project, Joanna Sanchez and Diana. Absolutely. Well, listen, gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office today. I want to thank you for sharing your story uh, because it truly is a testimony to what God can do. And and I'm so thankful that, that you had the perseverance and the faith to hold on uh, until that door was open for you, literally and figuratively. Uh, Michael Sutton, Kenny Phillips, we are praying for you uh, and pray nothing but God's best for you as you continue this journey in life. And if we can ever be of assistance to you, we're right here at Philly's Favor 100.7 FM. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you. God bless you all. All right. And Philly's favorite listeners, thank you for joining us today in the pastor's office. We'll see you next Sunday. Uh, Same time, same Holy Ghost channel. And as a matter of fact, why don't you just keep your dial tuned and your app tuned to Philly's favor all week long. We always play the best in gospel music so that you can get your praise on. See you next week. Love you much. God bless. Political, spiritual, maybe some lies. While you're listening to Phyllis Faber.